you have your Bibles, open them to Psalm 23. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, raise your hand and they'll get you one. What's that? Oh, kick out the high schoolers. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, you high schoolers. Go to the mountains, get lost. No, uh, Michael's back there, high schoolers. Go on out with Michael. If you're here, vominos, you filthy animals. I don't know where that came from. I'm, I haven't even watched Home Alone recently, so anyway. Psalm 23. Now, this psalm is by David, but we don't know when it was written. But let's read it together. This is probably one of the pearls of all the psalms. It's one that is most widely known, something that is shared regularly at memorial services, and it's easy to understand why as we go through it. So let's read together Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now we know that David was a shepherd. And so throughout some of the commentaries, it talks about this psalm maybe was written when David was sitting out there watching the flock and this came to mind. But I tend to think that this psalm was actually written later on in life. We, we have no way of knowing. But we know that he did pull back from his experience as a shepherd and was able to draw from that uh, understanding of how he is with God. It's a very personal psalm. And as we've mentioned in the beginning, as we were going through this series, that this first book of Psalms, section of Psalms, are personal ones. Later on, they're going to be more national, where he's going to talk about Psalms as the nation of Israel and so on. But right now, these are very personal. And even as he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he takes that personal note. And I tend to think, well, when I have been most aware of God's hand on my life, and maybe this is the case for you too, when that recognition and that kind of echoing, the Lord is my shepherd, has come to me in my heart, it hasn't been when I'm on top of the mountain overlooking the scenery. It's when I am going through something and there's the recognition and peace in the midst of the things that I'm going through. And you think of David's life, all the things that he has gone through. I mean, he was overlooked by his father when Samuel came asking about Jesse's sons and who should maybe take this place of king. Who was he going to anoint? 
And all of the brothers were brought out, and they said, no, this isn't one. Is there anyone else? Where is that other guy? That was David. He was out tending the, the sheep, the youngest. Surely he's not the one, and don't call me Shirley. He, he was the one who was going to be just ignored, passed over by his father. And, and so that's kind of this understanding and upbringing in his life. He lived in fear while he was serving under Saul, playing the harp. Every now and then Saul would get something in him and he'd chuck javelins at him. He had to run from Saul as Saul was trying to kill David because God had anointed him to one day take his place as king. His family was kidnapped. Some of his closest friends turned against him. His sin with Bathsheba was made known, even killing Uriah. His son Ammon raped his daughter Tamar. And then his other son Absalom killed his son Ammon for raping his daughter Tamar. Talk about dysfunction here. And then his son Absalom tries to take his kingdom. And then he actually sees his son Absalom die or hears of him dying as he's trying to take over his kingdom. And so this understanding of David and all that he's gone through, and then we read this psalm that is so beautiful and so tranquil. We hear green pastures and still and quiet waters, this idea of peacefulness. And you see, I think this psalm was probably written in a cave somewhere while David was fleeing from Saul. When he had time to to sit back and in spite of all the things that were going on in his life, there was something else taking place. Have you ever wondered why it is that some people can go through such hardship and get through it and then some can't, they just cave. Difficulties come and some rise up to the occasion and they make it through. In fact, their stories are compelling. They're encouraging. They're inspirational to hear of how this person overcame these obstacles. And you think, wow, that's amazing. And then someone else in similar situations, not even as difficult situations, crumbles, falls, and they just lose it all and they can't cope. And you wonder, what's the difference? Why do these people rise up and why do these people fall away? And what can I learn from this? And I think what happens here in this psalm, this understanding of David's perspective is a key to help us understand how he made it through and became a man that was known to be a man after God's own heart. You see, these things that are happening, he makes me lie down in green pastures, leads me beside still waters, refreshes my soul. There's a lot of things that happen in David's life that weren't calm and weren't refreshing. In fact, they were very troubling. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, 
For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, there's a key here. Even though I am here, I recognize that you also are here. And so there is this understanding that God is here. And so I, I think what prompted this song? What inspired him to write this song. I remember years ago I was on a, a fishing trip and, and I'm not a fisherman. And so you guys are going to hear about this trip and, and you'll hate me for it because my idea of fishing was going out with three little boys and untangling lines and hooks out of fingers and then one of them crying saying, I just want to go home. Okay? And so. Corinne would say, why don't you take the boys fishing? And I, I'd get a shudder up my spine. And I'd say, why on earth would I want to go through something like that ever again? I know some of you are thinking, you're an awful dad. Just telling you how it was with me. And so I've never been a big fisherman, but one time when I was working at a lumber company, they had a business trip and we were going to go fishing. But this wasn't normal fishing. This wasn't go to Lake Lake. That's where I used to go fishing. Or, you know, go down to Puddingstone. Do they have fish in Puddingstone? I don't know. We were going to go to Canada and go salmon fishing. And one of the companies, a plywood company, the owner of that company had his own island in Canada with this guest rooms, and we were going to go stay there in this hotel. So we go and we fly into Canada and then we take this little seaplane and we go in and as we're coming to this island, there is this yacht. I don't know, it's like a million foot yacht. You know, it's just huge. I'm exaggerating because that's what it looked like from the plane. And as we're flying around the plane, there was another plane behind us and the guy says, okay, I see it. Uh, You'll see a yacht. And he goes, well, there's all kinds of yachts. How do I know which one? He goes, oh, you'll know because it was that kind of yacht. You know, it was one of those rich and famous kind of things. So we land and we get on this island and I'm there with all these other salesmen and people, clients, and we're there and we go out fishing. And we get on these boats with these fishermen and they bait the hooks for us. They have hot coffee there and drinks for you on the boat. So you sit there and they give you the fishing pole and you fish. This is how fishing should be. And so the first day out, no one's catching anything. And all of a sudden, I get a bite. The line's going. I'm like, oh, this is fun. And I'm reeling it in. I'm reeling it in. I'm fighting. Oh, man, this is cool. And we pull in this fish, and it's about this big. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Look at this thing. It's great. And the guy from Canada, he goes, oh, it's a coho, eh? We got to throw that one back. And he takes it off, and he throws it back in. And I'm like, dude, that was the biggest fish I've ever caught in my life. And you just threw it back in. Well, and he goes, yeah, we can't keep those. Eh? That, that's not, we got to wait for the salmon, the king salmon. I'm like, oh, whatever, man, that was exciting. So then we go out again and I caught, I think it was three salmon. They're like this big, they're great, right? And all I got to do is get the pole, have fun reeling it in. The guy cleans it, cooks it. They actually smoked it. I didn't have to do any of those things. I just fished, they freeze dried it and I took it back with me. That's fishing. (laughs) If camping were like that, (laughs) I'd be good. 
See, there's nothing romantic about no plumbing and those kinds of things. But this was good. But while we were on this island, one of the days, all the guys were going to get on the yacht and they were going to go to a town there and they were all going to go into a strip club, all these guys, and they were going to get some strippers to come back to the boat. And I thought, no, I'm going to pass on this. And I was there for about, I don't know, three days, I think it was, the trip. And as I was there, this place was incredible. The beauty of the island, and there is, you know, nests with bald eagles. They're like seagulls, but they're bald eagles flying away. It's just incredible. And it was beautiful. And as I was there, I was just thinking, this is amazing, but something was missing. My wife wasn't there. And I remember just thinking, it's not it's, it's not good that I'm experiencing all this. I mean, it's good, but I miss, I wish she could be here with it, with me and experience this with me. And so I wrote her a song. Uh, I said that in case you didn't. I, I, I wrote her a song because in that moment, what I was thinking about is, I wish I was with you. That would be complete. And you see, I, I think... What is inspiring David in this psalm is this recognition of, oh, I wish I could be with you. Lord, if I was with you, then this would be complete. And what's happening is in David's heart, there is a recognition that God is a reality that is present even when He's not tangible. He is there. I mean, faith is the confidence in what we hope for, the assurance about what we don't see. He goes on and he says, Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There is an understanding that is holding him in spite of where he really is. And so it doesn't matter if he's sitting out on a field watching the sheep or if he's in a cave running from Saul. There is an understanding of what awaits for him and the reality of God with him. Even though I go through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You are with me. And you see, what David here is doing is singing a song of faith, a song of recognition of this is where I belong. This is who I belong to. This is my shepherd. And I will dwell with him forever. He's going to set a table for me. He's going to anoint me with oil. This is his mindset and where he is looking at and how he sees these things. And what he's really doing is showing us a life of faith. And this song is born with an understanding and a recognition that it is my hope to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I think about faith, I can't think, can't stop but think about Hebrews. So turn with me to Hebrews. 
Hebrews 11.6, turn to chapter 11, verse 8, but 11.6 it says, Without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so this connection to God is going to be through faith. And faith is not something that we see, it's something that we have hope in, but it's a hope that gives us assurance. Just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. In fact, the more you recognize that it is there, the more it holds you through the things that you see that are troubling. Make sense? The more I understand and believe in this, the more I have the assurance through the things that I am going through, no matter what those things are. And David went through a lot of things. And so don't feel like this is not something, this is just isn't real. No, this is where you get your strength. It is faith in him. This is how you get through the difficulties. It is faith in him. Without this, you can't please him. There has to be an understanding that he is there. He is the rewarder of those who seek him earnestly. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, we're going to go through a few of these because we have a couple of examples here that I think we can learn from. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. He was looking for something more than what was visible. He was living by a promise that was given to him by God. And it's interesting, in Abraham's story, we know that he was with his father in Ur of the Chaldees, and God calls him from this place to somewhere else. And he doesn't tell him where. He just says, come with me, I'll show you where you're going to live. I'm going to make you a great nation. But he doesn't give him the details. If he does not move, the promise does not take place. I think a lot of us get stuck. We we believe, but we don't move. And you see, faith requires that trust. And so God is calling us to the reality of who he is and to a life where he is involved, but there has to be a trust in him for those things. And just as David said, You know, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is where I am going to be. Abraham was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. He was looking for the promise of God to be the reality in his life. And he was moving in that direction. If we are not moving in faith, we will fall short of what God has for us. We will live less than what we could. And maybe all that we'll see will be the cave around us. 
But you see, David, even in a cave, could say, he's going to lead me to green pastures and still waters. And even here, he refreshes my soul. Later on, another example, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He had something in mind. He was looking ahead. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What a, what a passage. What does it mean he saw him who was invisible? Did he see an apparition? Did an angel appear to him? What, what is this talking about? Well, there was the encounter, the burning bush, but I don't think that's what it's referencing to. What it is, is the faith that he had was so real that it was like vision to him. It is what he lived by. And so he could give up the pleasures that were there for him in Egypt that were separated from the truth of God. Because he saw him who is invisible. Are we able to see the invisible? Even saying that, I, I feel like, what did I just say? But you see, faith gives us eyes to see what is not here visibly but is a reality it's kind of like radio waves right now i don't hear anything but i know they're out there if you had a radio and you tuned it into the right frequency it would then pick up those radio waves that are around there it's not that they're not there i just can't hear them until i have a receiver there are things that we cannot see. Maybe if you're colorblind, you don't pick up certain colors. You can't distinguish pastels. doesn't mean the colors aren't there. They're there. You just can't see them. And what faith is doing is giving the reality of who God is the tangibility that we need to get through the circumstances that we are going through. You see, so many times what happens with us is we think, okay, I'm going through a struggle, I'm going through a difficulty. What I need to do is I need to learn more. I need to, I need to know more about God. And so I'm going to go to more Bible studies and I'm going to read and I'll become this theologian. You see, the Pharisees knew the scripture, but they didn't have faith. They couldn't see God was standing before them in the person of Jesus because they didn't recognize who he really was. And knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And if anything, this psalm is telling us about a man who knows God. In fact, he's not just God, he's my shepherd. He's the one who leads me. 
He's the one who has my best interests in mind. And I don't have to worry about the darkest valley because he is with me. And he's going to lead me to green pastures. He's going to lead me to still waters. He's going to set me up at a table. Goodness and love are going to follow me forever. Do you have that awareness? Is that your vision? Is that your focus? Are you able to see that right now where you are? Because that is the eyes of faith. And that is exactly what we need at this time. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. I love this illustration. 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 22. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God time and again. Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord, the king said one of the officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Think about that. What would you think if you were the old servant? Where? That's what I would think. Uh-oh, I lost my place. More of them are with us than are with them. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed, and the Lord prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. So these people who were going to attack Elijah were struck with blindness. Elijah says, come, I'll show you where you need to go. He leads them. These people are blind in their chariots, and then they open their eyes, and they're in the middle of another city where now they're being captured. So, the plot thickens. 21, when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? (laughs) Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? 
Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. You would too. Elisha saw what his servant couldn't see. And because he knew, he didn't fear. A lot of times we fear because we do not see. And what we see is governing how we live. And yet what we can't see is the reality that we need to embrace. That God is with you. That his rod, his staff, are there to protect you. One thing about sheep, they're pretty helpless animals. doesn't matter how many of them. You get one wolf. They don't get together. Okay, guys, gang up. Get the wolf. They just don't do that. They're helpless. They're foolish. They're stupid. Anything resonating with us right now? These are things that we are to recognize, that God is the one who helps us through the things that we are unable to help ourselves. You see, David couldn't do a whole lot in some of his circumstances, but he had faith in the one who could. And not only did he have faith, but he knew this was his destiny. And so he could have this kind of assurance. It tells us in Romans 10:17, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. I love this translation. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. You see, faith comes from the message of who Jesus is. And what that message is, is that God loves you. The message of Christ, that's what the word of God is. That's what Romans is talking about here. When he says faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of God, what is the word of God? It is the message of who Jesus is. It's the gospel that God so loved you that he gave his son. If God would not spare his son, how much more will he not give you all things? In other words, God cares enough about you to do this. Can you trust him for everything else? Do you see that I am with you? Because that's what faith is, is a trust in God. Not only a trust in God, but trust that he is for you, not against you. That his plans are to give you a future and hope. And that can pick you up and carry you through the things that you're going through. You see, the times that I have had the the greatest experiences of peace have been some of the most awful times in my life. When I'm in a, a hotel room in New Orleans and I don't know if I will ever see my son again 
because of the circumstances that he's going through. And I'm thinking, this may be it. I I may have just seen him for the last time walk out the door. I may never see my son again. And that fear grips my heart. And all of a sudden, his rod, his staff, they comfort me. And I have this assurance that he is going to lead me even through this. And I can sleep and rest and then I get a phone call from my son and it's an intervention through all the prayer and all the things that have been going on all of a sudden I see the invisible and I experience the peace of God in the worst time of my life and isn't that when we need it isn't that when we have to see what we don't see when we have to know what we wouldn't know by our circumstances, but we can only know through faith. And faith is something we trust in God. We have hope in. And it comes by knowing that God is for you. He's given his son. He will do all that is necessary to get you to be where he is. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I will dwell in his house forever. I see that I believe that and that is what's going to hold me and lift me up through all the junk I go through all the things you go through it's not going to remove the junk it doesn't stop the problems in this world you're going to have tribulation difficulties but take courage I have overcome the world I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you say that? Do you know that? Is he your shepherd? Is he leading you or are you leading yourself? Because this is the opportunity we have to let him lead us and to make a reality of the things that are invisible with our eyes but are as real as real can be. Let's pray. Father, without faith it is impossible to please you. And faith comes by hearing this message. The message is about Christ. Faith comes from knowing that you are not only there, but that you love us and have given yourself for us. And with that knowledge then comes the placing of our lives into your care and trusting you because you have shown and proven your love for us. And so, Lord, we have the ability to allow you to be our shepherd or not. And I I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who is not letting you lead their lives, that 
like Elijah's servant, you would open their eyes. Lord, I, I pray that this morning you would open their eyes and that they would see that there is a reality in believing in you that will carry them throughout their life no matter what they go through. That you are real. That you are the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That you have given us of yourself so that we can live in your house forever. Lord, may we make that decision and follow after you. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, that follow us all the days of our life, forever. We put our faith, our trust in you, our shepherd. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.